0: Testament prophetic book of Daniel. We'll be looking there, as I've said, uh, at the continuation of where we left off last week. We looked at the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, but today we'll begin to unpack that dream together, and I need to do a couple of quick things from a housekeeping standpoint. We got word just before the service that we have added to our number Jimmy and Garrett Brown went to the hospital late into the evening and baby Jonah was born this morning. Most of you have not had opportunity to meet Jimmy and Garrett and be around them uh, extensively because they've joined the church kind of during this season of of separation but Jimmy is normally uh, in the drum kit we keep him socially distanced I mean drummers have been socially distancing before it was even a popular thing to do but he he normally plays our drums but Jimmy uh, teaches we William Carey and we're so excited that they have added to their family baby Jonah. I, now I know ladies you want all the dimensions, height, weight, length, hair, all those. I don't have any of that stuff yet so too early to tell but we'll give you dimensions as soon as we know them and hopefully we'll be able to put a picture up as well. I did neglect earlier to welcome all of those folks that are still joining us via our live stream, so thank you for joining in at home, and I know that's always awkward to kind of speak to the camera and and pass the people in the room, but at some levels it's awkward for them, for us to to be here together and for them to somehow feel like we're uh, in on something that they're not, so thank you for joining us. Daniel chapter 2 has been called the ABCs of Biblical prophecy. Basically, if you don't get Daniel chapter 2 down, you'll struggle to understand almost every other prophetic chapter in the Bible. Matthew 23 and 24, that's called the the Olivet Discourse, almost all of the book of Revelation, Luke chapter 21, Mark chapter 13, all of these biblical emphasis on prophecy are, are opened up or unlocked by Daniel chapter 2 and that's why I'm so excited to look at it God is going to give to us something very unique let me say this and and uh, I've given you two pages of notes sort of side by side in your worship guide one is a picture on the right side we'll be filling some things in there but I want you to to start and finish with this thought I've said it over and over again in this series we're not just starting some series on the end things hoping that Jesus comes back in the middle of chaos No, I believe that God foreordained this sermon series. I planned it out last November. We started looking at it and thinking about things that are to come always should lead us to live differently today. So what I want you to see is this is some of the most incredible faith building prophetic scripture that you will see. This is all about building faith. So write that in there in your notes. These verses of scripture about what has happened what is happening and what will happen ought to build your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to cause us to live differently. Now, I want us to review the first half of the the chapter. Last week we looked at this. If you remember, the king of Babylon had a terrifying dream. It kept him up at night. It, It scared him to death. He didn't know what to do with it. He brought together all of the wise men of Babylon. He brought together all of his sorcerers and he brought together all of these various folks, and as he brought them in, the, the fear of, of uh, their lives is always in the forefront. They always had to think he could go off the rails at any moment. He had a bad, bad habit of throwing people into fires and into lion's dens, and he said, I want you not only to tell me what this dream meant, but I want you to tell me what the dream was. Not only do I not know what it means, I can't remember exactly what it was. I just know this, it scared me to death. It shook him. If you remember last week, I said nothing in uh, his life caused him fear and trepidation. Everyone trembled before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar trembled before no man or nothing, but this dream got it. And in that eastern context, a forgotten dream was a bad omen, so he wanted to make sure he knew it. And they said, it's impossible. Nobody but the gods could do this, Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody here on earth in flesh and blood can tell you what that dream was. I mean, it was in your heart, in your mind, on your bed, in your bedroom. We couldn't possibly know that. And he said, okay, then all of you are frauds and you need to die. And so he sent out a decree to kill all of the wise men including Daniel and all of his friends. Daniel was not even in the room, he was not invited to that party, and they said go find him. And one of his soldiers went out to find him, prepared to kill him, and Daniel just very, very diplomatically said, now what's the haste? Tell me what the king is doing. And he told him, and Daniel said, okay I need a little time. And Daniel prayed and God gave to Daniel the vision. And when God gave him a dream and the interpretation, he comes before the king to tell him what God has shown him, and that brings us to the vision itself. And so this vision in Daniel chapter two, let me just say it this way, it is the course of the world empire from beginning to end. I want you to see that it is the the course of history from Babylon's days all the way through our day to the very last day, and ultimately the destruction of the world empire by Christ and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. It tells us Of things to come. That's why we use that as a title for this entire series. It tells us of things that are yet to be. And we came right up to this place last week. Look with me in your Bible at uh, verse 28. These are Daniel's words before the king. (laughs) There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. You may want to underline that. Your translation may say, He has shown you. Things to come and now I will tell you your dream and these visions that you saw as you lay on your bed so you can see that this is a vision about the future future events in Nebuchadnezzar's life and in the world and God communicated this to a pagan king some of you may have heartburn over that I know a lot of people that have struggled why would God give the most important dream and the most important prophetic information that he has ever given in Scripture to a pagan king. But I shared with you last week that right at this point in history Israel is not much better off than Babylon. They had been idolatrous and so it's almost in a sarcastic way God saying I'll show my people what I'm about to do with the Gentiles through a Gentile king. It shouldn't catch us off guard. God is in the business of doing the unusual. God used a donkey to rebuke a prophet who was money-loving. His name was Balaam. If you think about that picture, God used a rooster to rebuke Peter for backsliding. God will use interesting things. He used the bleeding of a sheep to, to cause King Saul to wake up in his heart and in his spirit. He does unique things. He brought a raven along to feed the prophet Elijah by the brook. Why would God choose a time like this to bring a prophecy like this? Think of the timeline. Israel has been taken away by Assyria, absorbed into that nation. And now Judah in the south has been taken away to Babylon. The center of power is no longer there in Jerusalem, but now in Babylon. And I want you to get this with me. Everybody look this way and pay very, very close attention. This will help you understand in a very clear way. God understands all of time and all of history. Would you agree with that statement? Certainly does. So God created everything, and after creating everything, he selected a man, Abraham, and said, I'm going to choose one group of people, and they will be a display of what life can be like when a people trust me as their God. When they trust me and obey me, I'll bless them. When they disobey me, they will find themselves under my judgment. But all the other nations of the world will see this Hebrew people, and they will experience what it is like to have life under the living God. And then God pushed pause for a moment and he put a parenthesis in history. So there's creation, there's this period of dealing with the Jewish people and he pushed pause and there's a parenthesis and he's going to begin to explain the times of the Gentiles. They started there at Babylon and they go all the way through 2020 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and they're going all the way to the end. There will be a time when the times of the Gentiles are complete and God will yet again deal with Israel. He has not abandoned Israel. We as the church have not replaced Israel, but God is giving to us an opportunity to be saved and to experience Him in and through Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad He did? Amen. You better be thankful for the times of the Gentiles. That's what we're experiencing here because we will see as it unfolds this includes us. Now if you were a Jew at this time you would have asked, is God through with us? Are we done? Is there any more? Well, the Bible says in the New Testament, Jer- Jerusalem shall be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles. We'll, we'll get to that in, a, in just a moment. Here's what I want you to see. He wanted to communicate to the Jews that he was working with all the other nations, and he wanted to communicate to this heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, that the kingdom that he was building is temporary at best and that God had bigger plans than even the king could imagine. So the course of our study is very simple, I want to give you the revelation of the dream, I want to give you the interpretation of the dream, and then I want us to look at the application of the dream. So that's, that's the kind of the, the course of our study. Let's start with this though and realize the revelation of the prophecy. Look at verse 29 and let's follow along together in Scripture. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. I love this. Look at verse 31. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. And as he looks at this statue, he says it was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and clay. Look back this way. What Nebuchadnezzar dreamed was very simple. He saw this colossal statue of a man. And it started out with a head of gold, and it moved down toward feet of iron and clay. There were different sections. The head of gold, and then the arms and the chest of silver, and then bronze, and then iron. And as we we see this image, what we're ultimately seeing, God's going to teach us. uh, What what an appropriate picture, a picture of man. God's going to teach Nebuchadnezzar and us basically this. What happens when man is in control? When mankind is in control, things deteriorate quickly. And we're going to see that. God has been pushed aside by his people, Israel. They've repudiated his rule. They've thumbed their nose at him. And now he allows these pagan Gentile rulers to take over. Again, we're living in the times of the Gentiles. And listen to the language that Daniel uses to describe it. Terrifying. Huge. Your translation may say colossal radiant or shining or brilliant pictures of uh, an incredible incredible sight and it was terrifying to Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know how big it was but it was massive and as he saw this it was revealing to him what is in the heart of man. Why would you say that pastor? Well I think that man thinks that way. When we start looking at our own achievements we think of them as colossal. All of our intellect All of our designs, all of our accomplishments, all of our advancements, we look at everything that we do, it's kind of like the cosmonaut who went up in one of the early rockets, they went just a few miles into space and came back and he said, I went into space and I did not see God, therefore God must not exist. That's like a kid playing with a toy boat in a a bathtub and saying, because I went from one side to the other, the ocean must not exist. I did not see the ocean. How foolish of man to think that we are all that. We are not all that we think we are. Would you agree with that? And Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was something, and somehow in this dream it frightened him, but God puts this parenthesis in the story. And so the dream is made up of these various parts. Let me say it this way. This is the pre-written history of human civilization. This is the pre-written history. It is moving us forward. According to verses 38 through 40, these sections of the statue symbolize empires of the world. These are world kingdoms. In fact, let's read that passage of Scripture if we can. Start with me, if you will, in verse 38. He has made you the ruler over the inhabited world and put even the wild animals and birds under your control. In fact, back up, if you will, to verse 36. This was the dream. Now he's going to kind of tell him what the dream was. Now we will tell the king what it means Your Majesty, you are the greatest of all the kings. The God of heaven has given you uh, sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He's made you the ruler of the inhabited world. You see, the, the picture is that this is a kingdom. Babylon is the head of gold. And I imagine when Daniel told him that, he patted himself on the back. He said, you're right, Daniel, I like this. But he had to be fearful at some level. Can you imagine? I mean, just put on your sanctified thinking cap for a moment. Can you imagine? He's forgotten the dream. And it bothered him so much that he was willing to kill all of the wise men and all of the land. And Daniel says, I know what the dream was and I know what the dream means. And he starts telling him. And I imagine Nebuchadnezzar started sweating on his upper lip. I imagine he began to quake a little bit. He said, that's the picture. I remember now. I remember seeing that statue. I remember seeing that vision. And Daniel knew exactly what he had seen because God gave it to him. And in God giving Daniel the vision and the dream, it gave an utmost respect in the heart of the king for Daniel. He was taken back by this. He had to be. He starts out and says, this is what the dream is. It's of things to come. It's the history of these powers. Each of these four kingdoms, I want you to see, had the authority to rule the world. If you think about it, when Nebuchadnezzar ruled, he ruled the whole world. The Bible says that clearly, that that he could kill who he wanted to kill that he was able to to save and spare who he wanted to spare. In the book of Esther, it says that the Medes and the Persians ruled the world, and we're going to see their place. And then when Greece came on the scene, Alexander the Great rose up, and when he got to the place where he conquered all the lands of the world, the Bible, uh, or excuse me, history tells us that he sat down in his tent and he cried because there was nothing left to conquer. Alexander had conquered the whole known world, And then we know of Rome. If you remember in Luke chapter 2, just before our Lord and Savior was born, the Romans took power. And as they took power, what happened in Luke chapter 2? Caesar Augustus issued a decree that what? The whole world should be taxed. And so he sent out a census. Do you remember the story? Hope you do. We'll get around to it around December 25th. In the Christmas story there in Luke 25, uh, in Luke 2, around December the 25th, we come to that place of acknowledging that Caesar was in power of the whole world. Now, as we think about all of these kingdoms, these world dominions, Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head. So on your picture, flip over to the right side of your notes, and in that very top block by the head of gold, write Babylon. Write Babylon. This is the dream, and now I'll tell you what it means. He's made you the ruler. You are the head. So you write Babylon at the top. Now let me show you Jesus' words. Don't turn there, but in Luke chapter 21, these things tie together. Listen, listen. Jesus said in Luke 21 24 and Jerusalem will be trampled down by Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end or the times of the Gentiles what does that have to do with you and me well there's that parentheses. Jerusalem has been trampled down. The people of God have been abused throughout the centuries from Babylon's day till this day. And there will be a day that the times of the Gentiles will end and God will reestablish his call and his plea for his people to return. But for you and me, we need to see that this dream simply shows a period of history. And this reads straight out of our history book. Listen, folks, if you were to take your Bible in one hand and a history book in the other, you'll begin to see that much of this statue, much of this prophecy has already been laid out. It came to pass just as Daniel told the king it would. I mean, if we look at this, part of the reason it is faith-building is because as we look back with confidence that everything God said would happen happened, we can be confident that everything God says will happen will happen and that's where we are we're right in the mix of this so remember that phrase the times of the gentiles remember this remember this god is teaching them and us the unfolding of history and so here daniel's giving the interpretation of the dream and i love this in verse 45 it goes on and it says the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure daniel says king this is the interpretation of the dream. He doesn't say this is a interpretation of the dream. He doesn't say this is one of many interpretations, or an, I guess I should say. This is not an interpretation. This is the interpretation. It is sure. God knows what is about to happen. Now, as we move forward and see this, if you mark in your Bibles, you may want to underline the word kingdom in verses 37 verse 44 because it's used 10 different times. I'm pretty amazed by this. Look at verse uh, 38 and let's follow along. He has made you the ruler over the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold but after your what? Say it with me. Come on folks. Kingdom comes to an end. Another inferior to yours will rise up and take your place and after that Okay, I've got about six people on this side that are helping me out. We need to start over. Let's start right in verse 39. But after your comes to an end, another inferior to yours will rise up and take your place. And after that has fallen, yet a third represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron, the will smash and crush all previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. Now let's begin to look at this. God watches over these kingdoms in succession. You're the head but there's coming one after you and it won't be as strong as yours. It'll be inferior to yours and we're going to look at this Uh, progression. In the ruin of one, another one starts. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, when Daniel prayed and thanked God for what he was doing, he said it is God who sets up kings and tears them down. God is in control of history. Would you agree with that statement? If you agree with that statement and you say God is big enough to control all of history, ladies and gentlemen, church family, Can we just agree in faith that God is able to take care of us? That's a great place to just shout hallelujah. When I look at the fact that God can speak to the end from the beginning because he knows all things and he holds it in his hand and he can pre-write history, I can say, God, there's nothing tomorrow that I'm going to face that you've not already seen. That brings me such great confidence and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to bring confidence to families. I, I, I imagine Jimmy and Garrett bringing a brand new baby into the world today are wondering, what will this baby face? It will face uncertain days, but as the, the hymn writer said, I can face uncertain days because he lives. God watches over them. So flip over to that right side and write in, you've hopefully written in Babylon is the very first one. Daniel said, that's you. You are the head of gold. It's fitting that it was described that way. Herodotus was a historian that visited Babylon and he said, I've never seen so much gold in all my life. That's a a Hanbury translation. He said literally it was oozing or dripping of gold, a kingdom filled with the riches of gold. And then in verse 39, we see, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another one inferior to yours will take place. That's the silver kingdom, and it's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Write that down in that block. The the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. This is a a very important thing. Your kingdom has been divided and given to them. If you look at chapter 5, verse 28, and, and you see Nebuchadnezzar's grandsons having a drunken party. And he's brought out the gold from the temple and they're living it up and all of a sudden a finger begins to write on the wall and it frightens him to death and the Bible says your kingdom has now been given to the Medes and to the Persians. It's an inferior kingdom but it's divided. I think this is pretty amazing. You're the head of gold but next there's going to be these two arms. You've got the picture of the Medes and the Persians. What a great, great understanding. And then next, let's keep going, next we see the kingdom of bronze. It's the kingdom Of Greece the kingdom of Greece and if you think about this when the Greeks came on board uh, Alexander the Great started with military conquest and he put his soldiers in battle armament and we see a picture of bronze being a very very fitting picture Greece is mentioned uh, in this prophecy but this is Philip of Macedon and later in in chapter 8 and chapter 11 Greece is uh, specifically mentioned It's bronze in this military conquest. And then we move toward the kingdom of iron. And everybody here would recognize that as Rome. Every school child would know of the legions of iron from Rome. After Greece had ruled, Rome came into power. And everything in this prophecy begins to fit absolutely like a glove. One united head, Babylon. The divided kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the arms. We see Greece recentering things. And then we see the Roman Empire. We see the two legs. We see Eastern and Western Roman Empire. We see a division. And ultimately we're heading toward another place. But I think it's powerful for us to see that history plays out exactly what Daniel said to the king during this time. Don't miss this and don't yawn through it. I know some of you aren't students of history or you even care about history, but recognize that this, from Daniel's perspective, has not yet happened. It is pre-written history. And so God is pointing forward even through our day. Iron is used 14 times in reference to Rome in this book. And we see this picture of the empire of the Romans. Listen to these words of Edward Gibbons. It's not on the screen or in your notes. In the decline and fall of Rome, he said, But the empire of the Romans filled the world. And when the empire fell into the hands of a single person, the world became a dreary prison for all its enemies. To resist was fatal. There was never a rule like Rome. It was the imperialistic Romans that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And then these Roman legions crushed all opposition. But they sort of faded out. The Roman Empire never completely uh, was was conquered by anyone, certainly, but it never completely ended. We, We still have remnants of Rome in our legal system and in our philosophical thinking. The Bible tells us something interesting. As we go down to verse 41 and 42, we see that the feet are a mixture of iron and of clay. That there's the strength of iron and then the vulnerability of clay, and they're mixed together. Now, how many toes are there on these two feet? I would think at least 10, right? There should be 10. There are 10. The Bible tells us that out of the Roman Empire, one day will come a confederation of 10 nations. Now, I I hope we put this in our picture here. I'm not sure why our pictures are getting so kind of messy, but we've got 10 nations down by the feet. And go to the next one, if you will. There should be a line that says, you are here. You realize that everything above that line, Babylon, Greece, the Medo-Persians in Rome have already happened and you see below that line we are here we're somewhere at the calves or the ankles of this deal and we are still to come in the final analysis of this historical unfolding and as we see that we as Christians and as Americans are living in the aftermath of the Roman Empire and I want to point out to you where we are in this because it's important for us to see As we think about you are here, I get people asking this question all the time. Pastor, where is America in prophecy? Where do we fit into the world scene? And people are asking questions about end times right now like crazy. Well, I can tell you this. America is not specifically mentioned in the Bible in prophecy. David Jeremiah said it this way. I can say with certainty there's no place ever in the Bible where we're mentioned specifically. And it's been said because of this. And this is haunting. Perhaps when prophecy is fulfilled, America will not be any longer. It's a frightening thought. Perhaps America will not be strong enough to even be reckoned with as a power. But we are mixed in down toward the bottom of the age, still from the roots of the Roman Empire, and we see this interpretation. It's pretty clear. Nebuchadnezzar, you're in charge. After you, the Medes and the Persians will take over. That happened. After the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks will take over. That happened. After the Greeks and the Persians, the Romans will take over. That happened. After that, there will be a time where a confederation of nations out of the old Roman Empire. That's why I've told you several times, keep your eyes on Europe. If you think about the European confederation, if you think about the European Union coming together, there is a setup exactly for the Antichrist and for things to come. Now again, when Nebuchadnezzar dreamed this dream, you need to think with me. Persia was a Babylonian vassal state. They were satrapping. Persia was just under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar dreamed this dream, the Greeks were a bunch of warring tribes out in the desert. Rome was nothing more than a village by the Tiber River when he dreamed this dream. And God said, no, they're going to rule the whole world. God knew those things would happen. So, pastor, what can we learn from all of this? I mean, here is this king who has a dream, and and the dream is that he's going to lose his power. But God unfolds more than that. It's bigger than this one man. If you don't get anything out of what I've said today, I want to give you a couple of lessons right now. And so I want your ears perked up. Number one, I want to give you what I'm calling the delicate foundation of human government. The delicate foundation of human government. What's at the very bottom of this statue of man is clay and iron. And next week we're going to see that a stone that is not cut with hands will crush all of these kingdoms by striking at the very foot and it will all demolish. And that stone is none other than Jesus Christ. And He will destroy all of this. But you need to understand that human government, all of our achievements, all of our scientific discoveries, all of our human Intellect is top-heavy at best and unstable. You need to understand that they're founded on humanity, and it's unpredictable and unstable. The picture of this statue for me is such a great picture of where we live. And, and, and the, the reality of it is, is that we, we see a, a teaching tool because of the faulty foundation. If you don't believe me that things are unstable, Google. It's all you need. Newspapers. They don't exist. Find the news somewhere. Look outside the window. If you don't believe the world around us is unstable, then you are living under a rock. Let me give you the second lesson, and this one is doubly true. I want to talk to you about the devolution or degeneration of human governments. Every single one of these empires is on a downward trend. You can see the arrows to the the right side. It's heading down toward the bottom. I think you need to see this, the position of the kingdoms. What's the what's the metal that's represented on top? Help me out. Gold. The application of this dream is frightening to our day. The course of human government is downward. Look at the position, the descending value, gold, then silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then mud, if you will, with clay. It's going down in value. It's inferior. Every kingdom will take place. And he says in verse 39, Nebuchadnezzar, after your kingdom is over, another one is coming. And guess what? It's going to be better, right? No. He said it's going to be inferior to yours. And Nebuchadnezzar probably had to say, well, yeah. But I think something in his heart had to say, well, if they're inferior, how are they going to take over? But they did. Now, you realize where we are, right? Right? We're at the bottom. We're down in the mud. We're in a bad place. Some of you say, well, I know that. I mean, you just watch political commercials today and you know that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy that man in his last days will wax worse and worse. This ought to be a striking blow to the evolutionists who think we're getting better and better and better and better because we ain't. They've got this statue standing on its head. And God said, we're heading downward until we'll, we'll get there. But he says we're heading downward and the power will diminish as well. And think about this, even the gravity, their specific mass, gold and then silver, all the way down to clay. What a striking proof that every human gets off the gold standard. We're all headed away from that place of perfection. Listen carefully, and I don't want to bore you with this, but I want you to hear it. Babylon was autocratic. Think about it. Nebuchadnezzar was a dictator. Who was in charge in Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar, period. Again, chapter 5, he slays who he slays, and he spares whom he spares. There was no question He was the man, and then we move to the Medes and the Persians, and when we do, we see it's more of an oligarchy. It's more of a a consensus of leaders. In fact, do you remember this? When the king of the Medes and the Persians made his declaration, and, and Daniel went and prayed. He said, nobody can pray to anybody but me, and Daniel prayed to God, and they called him out on it. What did he say? My hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. I've made the decree because there was a group in power. You think Nebuchadnezzar would have done that? Oh, I can't do anything about it. Nebuchadnezzar would have said immediately, this is what we're going to do. I like Daniel. Don't throw him to the lions. You begin to see this amazing picture, this oligarchy of a few men ruling. Now move forward. You come to the Greeks, and there was a sense of aristocracy. Any warrior that had earned his spear Could rise in power and Alexander the Great proved that and there's this aristocracy that comes to power and then Rome comes in and they're imperialistic they're like Nazi Germany they just take over everything they put an iron heel on the throat of anyone who came in opposition they were military and ruthless here's what I want you to see constitutional unity is deteriorating until it fades into democratic license one commentator said this communistic killings, and socialistic suicide. What am I saying? Government is heading round the bowl and down the hole. Hear me out before you start throwing things at me. In God's mind, democracy is not God's kind of government. Pastor, what do you mean? well, if you want to know what kind of uh, government God stands for, look at the kind he set up. He said he wanted a theocracy. He wanted to be the king of the people, and if you'll follow me, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. The only reason we have democracy is because a monarchy will not work because of sin in the human heart. We had a monarchy, and we revolted against it to get away from Great Britain. Am I right? And the only reason we have a democracy is so there's some check and balance so that one doesn't just run roughshod over everybody else. See, you begin to think about this. We can't have a monarchy because without righteous rule, it cannot work. I read something this week that blew me away. It was written 200 plus years ago when the colonies were still under Great Britain. It was written about the Athenian Republic, the Greeks that were 2,000 years ago. And listen to this. This ought to scare us to death. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. Hello? From that moment on, that moment on the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always followed by dictatorship. Folks, this is ripped from our headlines. I want you to see that government has moved in this way. I want to put some things on the screen there in your notes, but we start in a place of bondage. And we move from bondage to spiritual faith. And we move from spiritual faith to great courage. And we move from great courage to liberty. And we move from liberty to abundance. Does that sound like America's past? We move from liberty to abundance. And we move from abundance to selfishness. Does that sound like America's present? And we move from selfishness to complacency. And we move from complacency to apathy. And when we move to apathy, we move from there to dependency. Hello? And when we move to a place of dependency, you know where it leads us? Right back to bondage. You and I need to see this. We are in a downward cycle. We are the combination of iron and clay. What does iron represent? Power. What does clay represent? A sense of the people. And there's a ruling body with power, and there are the people that are vulnerable, and they are mixed together, and they cannot get along, and you and I are right at the bottom of that. And I'm just telling you, as we think about this, it ought not be surprising that the deteriorating form of government that we have is clear. The prophecy shows there are governments that pop up and fall apart all the time. The iron will of the, the authority and the clay voice of the people simply can't get along. The pulling apart of nations. Look at this. We start out with one head, and then we go to two arms and where do we end up 10 toes think about it south korea north korea north vietnam south vietnam east and west germany yeah you know, the the united nations is a joke they're not going to ever get together all attempts to get governments together are futile. They will fail. And the Bible tells us that this sets everything up for Antichrist. That's why this is so important as a key that unlocks revelation. Daniel simply said to this king, here's what's going to happen. We're moving into the times of the Gentiles, and you're going to rule for a little while, and then another's going to take your place, and another, and another. And it's going to fragment all the way until Jesus Christ comes and makes it all right. And we're right at the bottom. We're awaiting the next things to happen. Folks, does this make sense, yes or no? I I hope that you're tracking along with me because the more I study Daniel, the more excited I get because it builds my faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this this devastating combination of weakening morality and increasing power and strength, that's why in chapter 7, God has this same vision shown through Daniel's eyes. This is... uh, Nebuchadnezzar's picture is man is strong and God's picture is no you're deteriorating and ultimately government without God is like a wild beast that's how he describes the four kingdoms they're just wild animals that's a good picture for government look at verse 34 as you watched a rock was cut from a mountain but not by human hands it struck the feet of iron and clay smashing them to bits The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked down the statue became like a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Who is this stone? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and he will return in glory and honor and splendor and power and he will establish an eternal kingdom that will reign forever and ever without end. Hallelujah. You see, he will destroy all forms of government and he will rule forever. So when I read this prophecy, Pastor, what am I supposed to do about it? I mean, should I just be depressed and go home and Lock myself in a closet? Should I just curl up in a fetal position? What this prophecy ought to tell you and me is this, that God's clock is winding down. And you and I may yet live to see the return of Jesus Christ. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some application. We've looked at the revelation. We've looked at the interpretation very quickly. Number one, look up. Look up. The king is coming. That'd be worth saying again. Look up because the king is coming. Are you looking for Jesus' return? I am more and more every single day. And as I look up and realize that he will establish his rule and reign, he's going to rapture his church out of here. We won't experience all of those difficulties and troubles. We'll come to that prophetic unfolding as we get to those texts. But don't misunderstand these closing remarks. I want to be very careful because I know many of you are politically minded. But can I just tell you this? This says to me that I... I want to do everything I can to prop up whatever government is left so that I've got a little more time to share the gospel. And for no other reason. I, I'm not fatalistic in saying there's no point in it. You need to be salt and you need to be light and you need to be involved. But don't make this nation your end priority. I'm as patriotic as anyone in this room. i wave the flag passionately. I love our soldiers and pray for our president and I pray for our military and I pray for our leaders locally. But America is not the end all. And if we begin to think so, we're much like Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. He thought he had everything, and God said, no, it's going to get way, way worse. And he said, you and all of your golden splendor and might will be replaced by mud. Because that's where human government goes. But then he'll replace it where gold is the streets that we walk on. There's coming a day that we'll kick up gold dust. There's coming a day, so look up, but live, here's the second one, live with an eternal perspective. I want to give my life to those things that are eternal. I I want to recognize this, that that I I can't think of anything worse than to give my whole life and pour my life into a tottering, toppling, governmental system that ultimately will fail. Why will it fail? Because God said it would. There are only two things that are eternal in this world that God's going to take out of this world to heaven with him. The Word of God and the souls of men. (laughs) Truth and people. Folks, if you live with an eternal perspective, you'll do this last one. You'll love with an eternal purpose. Listen to me. When is the last time you verbally shared your faith with somebody else? You told them, Jesus Christ saved. I'm not beating you over the head with a hammer of the Bible and saying you ought to do that. What I'm saying is we get to do that and we better do that. We better get busy loving with an eternal perspective. All of these people that are wringing their hands worried, so worried, if I do everything just right then I can avoid this disease, I can avoid this virus. We were talking about it this morning, if you look at the death rate, if we're that concerned because we say well some people may die, We ought to ban cars. We ought to quit driving because people are killed on the highways all the time. My point is this. This world is coming to an end, but there's one who is coming to this world that will be just the beginning. Because he's already said, I am the alpha, and I am the omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I know it all. And I know you're saying, my pastor's a little worked up this morning. Praise God. We can be worked up. Why? Because we win. Look up. Live with an eternal perspective and love with a sense of passion and purpose like never, ever before. How are you doing with that? You and I have an eternal assignment. What eternal things are you investing in? You see, not everybody's going to be a flaming evangelist going and and preaching on the street corner of Hardy and 49. That's not everybody's place. But some of you have got resources that you could give for the kingdom's cause. In just a few weeks, we have a family coming to stay with us. They're, they're stationed overseas, and they're going to teach us greatly, I believe, about how we can be involved in what God's doing around the world. I'm so excited about that. I, for the sake of the live stream and otherwise, their security, I won't say much more than that, but you'll get to meet that family soon. And, and I, it just excites me to think of, of, of the missions, opportunities, that are around the world right now. The technology we have has opened up the door for the gospel to go global in ways never before. And we get to be a part of that. So parents, if you're raising young children, look up. Jesus is coming. Live with an eternal perspective. Teach them eternal perspective. Teach them the value of eternity, not just the value of stuff. You know, a lot of kids these days know the price of everything and the value of almost nothing. We need to live for eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we've had to be in this place together. And I pray that you would take the words of this vital prophecy and that you would build into your people faith because of it. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Our time together is done. Let me just remind you, we are not having come-forward invitations as we've had in the past. I I hope you recognize that the links that we're going to are simply to be as loving as we possibly can. We want you to feel safe and secure in every way. That's why we're not passing the plate. That's why we're doing things the way we're doing them. If you have a spiritual decision of some sort, if you are wrestling in your heart about your own salvation, Stick around for a few minutes. We have encouragers that will be right down here at the front. And shortly, after people have kind of filed out, you you can come and talk to them. They, they, They can take you just right across the hallway. We've got a little encourager's room. It's spread out, and you can sit down. And they can pray with you over matters that you might have going on in your heart and in your life. If you're leaving today and you don't have a pressing spiritual decision, would you make this commitment? and pray for those that might be wrestling with the Lord? Would you just pray today that somebody would be saved because of our time together? And this week, I want to encourage you as greatly as I can, live for eternity. Invest in eternity. I hope to see you Wednesday evening. Many of you will be back tonight. We are doing a Daniel study, and so we're looking, walking at the prophetic sections in a Sunday school class. That meets at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Even if you're a part of another class, you're welcome to join us. It's a video series, and we have great discussion and uh, just a a wonderful time together. So you come tonight if you want to be a part. It also happens on Wednesday morning at 10 and on Wednesday afternoon at 2. We're just making every opportunity available that we can. We love you. Our staff loves you. We pray for you often. We're grateful for what God is doing. Aren't you excited about where things are headed? Amen. You're dismissed.